Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. But hey, we're going to jump into our reading from the day. It's John chapter 10, verses 22 through 38. If you want to follow along, it's going to be on the screen. In verse 22, it says, It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from, from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're stoning you, not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied, it is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods, and you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if you do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. Even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the Father. This is the gospel of Christ. Uh, a long one. <laughs> Hi, again. Um, real quick, before we jump in, um, we try really hard to be a church that doesn't ask you to volunteer for stuff all the time. Have you been in those churches where it's like every Sunday they're like, please, the nursery. We try really hard not to do that, but every August we put cards on your chair and we just bring it up that every August we try to like revamp our volunteer, not revamp, get a fresh uh, wave of volunteers. Um, after, after summer, it's usually a good time. And so we have a couple of needs right now. We're actually looking good in kids ministry, though we could use a couple more people. Um, but we really need folks to help out with slides. And so if you've ever thought, I could, I, I could do something around here, slides might be the thing. Uh, and we would love for you to help us out with that. Um, you don't have to be techie to do slides. We would love for you to know how to, you know, operate a technology. But, you know, you don't have to, like, describe yourself as techie to your friends. Though, if you describe yourself as techie to your friends and you're not on the slides team, why? Like, just do it. So, um, that's one of our big needs. Uh, we do have, these are once a month jobs. We also um, have one opening in uh, setup, which is, uh, we say this a lot, our favorite way to build community at this church. So, uh, those are some things. But if you see something that's interesting to you, look at, look at those cards and fill them out. You can drop them up in the offering box on the way out. So, uh, I, I want to pray for us. I'm like 
jittery. So let's pray and then we'll, and then we'll jump in. Jesus, we, uh, I thank you for today. Your presence is here. Chad was saying earlier that your presence is often your voice. And we believe that you're present in this room, so we speak. Would you wake us up to that presence in a way that allows us to hear you just like we were praying at the end of worship? And so we trust you. We trust you that you will speak. I trust you that you will speak. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, So today, I want to talk about something that comes up uh, pretty regularly as I meet with folks as a pastor. Um, Sorry. (coughs) Honestly, it's uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this series. We're talking about Jesus over the next few weeks, calling it dust. And um, and one of the reasons I wanted to do it is because it's a pretty regular thing that I get asked by you all or people in our community that want to meet with me. Um, And and it's sort of a similar situation. Most often it's people who have either grown up in the church or around the church, like are aware of Jesus and the stories of Jesus. Um, And and they ask a question. It's phrased a lot of different ways, but essentially the question under the question is, who really is Jesus? And a lot of times it comes kind of on the heels of one of two things happening. Uh, The setup to that question is usually one of these two things. One is... um, I heard blank, and you can fill in the blank with a uh, celebrity or politician or maybe most dangerous of all, a famous like celebrity Christian. Um, I heard blank talk about Jesus on the news, in the news, on YouTube, on TikTok, whatever. I heard blank talk about Jesus, and I don't think I believe in that Jesus. People are asking this question. The second one uh, that kind of is the setup to who is Jesus is um, I had a conversation with my dad, brother, uncle, old Sunday school teacher, friend, whoever. I had a conversation with someone I know, and they know the Bible like really, really, really well. And they say that Jesus is this, and I'm really confused because I really don't think that that's who Jesus is. And uh, usually this one, uh, this conversation comes around the the person that they're talking to who has a really big agenda. Um, Honestly, most often it's a political agenda. Um, And And I don't tell you either of these situations to belittle them. I'm talking about them because I hope that they make you feel like you're not alone if you have walked into these uh, situations. Uh, Because this is happening everywhere. Everywhere. People are uh, having to reimagine and renegotiate their faith all over the place. And so if this feels familiar to you, uh, I tell you this to say that you are not alone. Uh, Plenty of us in this room have found ourselves in a place where someone is declaring something usually very loudly about Jesus and we find ourselves going, wait, is that what this is? Because, uh, because faith, our faith wraps completely around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I think it is a really normal thing and honestly a really good thing that there would be times in our lives when we would publicly or privately ask, who is Jesus? I won't make you raise your hand, but my guess is you've all been in a situation uh, similar to this. Uh, I think it's a good thing. Who is Jesus? In fact, it's something that Jesus himself did. Uh, Well, he wasn't like, who am I? We don't really have record of that in the scriptures. Uh, But Jesus, he asks his disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? Like, who are people saying uh, that I am? And then he turns the question on them. He says, who do you say that I am? He's like with them in their presence. And he's still saying, ask this question. Who do you say that I am? And then he allows space and time for them to answer that question. It's a, it's a great question. Who do people say Jesus is and who do you uh, say that Jesus is? Um, it's one I got kind of curious about this week. So 
Shockingly, I, I went into a deep researching dive, wondering who people uh, say that Jesus is. So I want to give you some answers that I found. Um, the first place I looked was politics because so many of these, I just watched the entire room brace themselves. <laughs> Sorry, I just need to enjoy that for a moment. Um, <laughs> the first place I look was politics because often these conversations come around some sort of political idea or um, something like that. And so um, I looked up how former presidents have answered this question, who is Jesus? Uh, one called Jesus someone to think about for security and confidence. Another called Jesus a good cure for fear. Uh, another a constant companion. Another, this, those are all alive, so I didn't want to say their names, but this one's Teddy Roosevelt. He's been dead for a while, so it feels safe that we can say what he said. He called Jesus the hope and savior of the world. I like that one. Uh, all of these men, they, they claim to be Christians, and so their answers were interesting to me, but then that got me curious about what do people who don't claim to be Christians say about Jesus? What do uh, the atheists or the unbelieving or the uh, kind of maybe complicated views of faith say about Jesus? Uh, Nietzsche called Jesus the great symbolist. Uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, he forever did, Richard Dawkins is probably the most famous atheist that's alive right now, if you don't know who he is, and forever he denied that Jesus existed, and now he'll say Jesus existed, but he was a good man, nothing more. Uh, uh, Michael Gunger, you may have known him, he was a, a worship leader, uh, you, you make beautiful things, can we edit that out of the podcast, um, <laughs> you know that song, he wrote that song, um, but he's had this really honestly public and vulnerable, he's been really public and vulnerable about his deconstruction of his faith and the evolution of his faith, and this is how he answers the question, he says Jesus was Christ, and then he goes on, Buddha was Christ, Muhammad was Christ, you are Christ, Christ is the word for the universe seeing itself. Uh, after some atheists, I was like, uh, that's what they think. And then I was like, ooh, what do the artists think? Uh, I think this is a really good question for artists. If you're an artist in the room, this is a good question. for. It's one I would argue that I think every artist is kind of answering. Uh, here's what the artists say. Van Gogh called Jesus an artist greater than all other artists. That's saying something from arguably one of the greats of all time. Anne Lamott, uh, she's a writer's writer, if you know her. She's a wild woman. She, she talks about how Jesus is the least embarrassing part of being a Christian. <laughs> Actually, I think her exact quote is, Christianity is mortifying except for the Jesus part. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, my favorite poet, Mary Oliver, calls him tender, luminous, and demanding. Uh, I love this one. In 1980, uh, the Washington Post interviewed Bob Dylan on his conversion experience. Bob Dylan became a Christian in uh, the late 70s, actually uh, through the work of a vineyard church, which is kind of cool. Um, but uh, they, uh, they are interviewing him. They said, do you really think that Jesus is real? And he was like, yeah, I think he's real. And they were like, like, why? Why do this? Why convert and then tell everybody about it? Make these albums. He made a couple of gospel albums out of it. And this was his answer. He said, I don't know. Jesus was someone who wasn't going to come in my life and make it miserable. <laughs> I was like, he's like, like, who is Jesus? I don't know. He's not going to make my life worse. So <laughs> why not? Uh, preachers have their own answers. Uh, Bill Johnson, a charismatic, calls Jesus perfect theology. Tim Keller, a Presbyterian, calls Jesus the true and better of every character and establishment throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Rowan Williams, who was the uh, former Archbishop of the Anglican Church, he calls Jesus the ground of all hope. Martin Luther King Jr., a Baptist, he says Jesus is the very God of very God. 
Brian Zahn, who if you know him, cannot be held by any denomination. He says, Jesus is what God has to say. Want to know and deal with the God of the Old Testament? Look at Jesus. He's what God has to say. Also, I kind of want to pause because I just put all those preachers in a clump, and they've never been clumped together before. So if you know who they are, you're like, I don't think they fit. Anyway, the scriptures themselves answer this question. They're full of clues as to who Jesus is. Peter uh, calls Jesus, uh, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Paul calls him, kind of like Brian Zahn's, the visible expression of the invisible God. Here's why I read all of these things. Because the question, who is Jesus, when it's asked, the answers are wide. And sometimes they're wild and all kinds of brilliant and also incredibly subjective. And if we went around this room and asked this question, and you do not know how badly I want to go around this room and ask every single one of you your answer to this question, I think we'd probably get to a similar place. Your answers would be uh, wide and sometimes wild and uh, occasionally brilliant and very subjective. It's just kind of how it works. So, so, so what do we do if the answers of who is Jesus are all over the place? If everybody has different ways of answering this question? I, I think what, what I know to do, what I think that we do is I think we turn to the scriptures and, and we ask the one we're talking about. Uh, we ask the one we're talking about. We turn to the scriptures and we turn the question, who is Jesus, back to Jesus. Who does he say that he is? Who does Jesus say that he is? So in our time together today, I want to allow Jesus to do what he's doing uh, in our scripture lesson that Chad just read in John chapter 10, where a crowd comes uh, of people, they come to Jesus and they're asking him the answer to this very question. Quit leaving us in suspense. Who are you? If you're the Messiah, tell us that you're the Messiah. Who are you? Uh, In the Gospel of John, in his book, where our text came from today, uh, this is the theme of John's whole book. The theme of John's book is completely centered around allowing Jesus to say for himself who he is. Uh, All of the Gospel writers, they have their own uh, flavors and their own approaches. Luke, he writes like a journalist. He's, he's the fact checker, the timeline maker. Mark, uh, he tells the stories of Peter, so it sounds like a guy sitting around a campfire telling a story. Uh, Matthew, he's a literary genius full of layers and figurative language. But John, John, he writes like a, like a poet or a songwriter that's like on a mission. If Luke is Pulitzer and Mark is like Mark Twain and Matthew is Dostoevsky, then I think that John is the Van Morrison of the gospel writers. I don't think he would mind that I said that, maybe. He has this one single and relentless mission to, with love and simplicity, declare the deity and the godness of Jesus. Uh, Brian Zahn calls it John's holy obsession. He says, John's holy obsession is to present to us Jesus as God. John is determined that we perceive the greatest truth in history, that Jesus is God, the eternal word who was made flesh. John never leaves this theme, but he returns to it over and over. John is relentlessly committed uh, to not just answering the question, who is Jesus, but allowing Jesus to answer the question, who is Jesus? It's what we find in our story today. Jesus standing before that crowd. They're saying, tell us who who you are. And he answers, except he gives a really curious answer. He says, my sheep, they know my voice, and they follow me. They know who I am. And then he says this, 
uh, that second part. It got kind of confusing. But what he's saying is, if you want to know who I am, listen to what I say. But don't just listen to what I say. Watch what I do. So that's what I want to do today. I want to listen to who Jesus says he is, and I want to watch it line up with the things that he does. Uh, One of the ways that the Gospel of John uh, allows Jesus to answer this question is by including seven I am statements uh, all throughout the book. Seven statements where Jesus directly answers this question, or honestly, as directly as Jesus answers any question, which is barely directly, um, (laughs) answers the question, who are you? Seven statements about who he is and what he's doing and what he's all about. And so I'd like to let these seven statements frame today as we lean in and take a closer look at who Jesus says that he is. Uh, So we'll, we'll jump in. Campbell, I think I have slides for all of these and they'll have the scripture where you can find them. And I want you to, I want you to check me. I'm never the person that's like, you know, don't look at the Bible, just listen to what I say. And like, look at the Bible and then tell me how I got it wrong. Um, but uh, here's the first one. The first one comes out of John chapter 6. It's Jesus' first I am statement in the book of John. And he says, I am the bread of life. Who am I? I am the bread of life. See, direct, clear, needs no further explanation. I'm just kidding. Seriously, they're all like this. They're so metaphorical and, and, and very on brand for Jesus. So let's put it into some context. Uh, Jesus has just performed the miracle uh, right before this where he feeds 5,000 people. And then last week we talked about what happens right out. He feeds 5,000 people. And then the next thing that happens is, you remember, he took the, told the disciples to cross. He get away from the people and cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the boat. And so that's just happened. Um, but he left the people on the shore. So the boat's gone. And what the people start to realize is that Jesus is no longer there. Uh, but the one boat has gone across the sea and he wasn't on it, but they can't find where he is. And so they're on this search and they're looking for him. And so they cross to the other sea, side of the Sea of Galilee and he's there. And they're like, what? how did you get here? Like, how are you even here? And so it starts this conversation between Jesus and these people um, where they're trying to maybe understand time travel. I don't know. Uh, And it goes into his divinity and he talks about bread and they say, who are you? And he responds, I am the bread of life. He has just fed them uh, literal bread. And so he answers the question, who am I? By saying, I am like the thing I just filled your bellies with. Who am I? I'm like the thing I just gave you. I am the bread of life. I came to fill the empty places in the world and I came to fill the empty places in you where you find yourself hungry and craving things that are useless or destructive. I will sustain you like bread, expanding in your belly, filling you, nourishing you, energizing you. And the bread of life. Uh, The second I am statement Uh, we actually see in two places. Uh, We see it in John chapter 8 and then again in John chapter 9 where Jesus says this, uh, who am I? I am the light of the world. Uh, This is once again Jesus responding to a group of people, but this time they aren't praising him because he just gave them this like magical meal and maybe time traveled. Uh, They are in the the exact opposite. He's standing before a crowd that's just accused him of blasphemy. The Pharisees have just accused him of blasphemy. And his response to a crowd of people demanding answers, they say, explain yourself. And he says, I am the light of the world. And then he shows them. By healing a man that was born blind. And in this man, darkness literally becomes light. Don't just believe my words. Watch what I do. I am the light of the world. Where there is darkness and confusion, 
I am the light you can find. As my friend Justin says, he's not just a solar God, but a lunar God as well, who isn't afraid of the dark. I read uh, two things this week on this that were so good. The first is that if Jesus is the light of the world, then it means our names will always be known in the dark. I was thinking that as we were singing, his mercy is more. Our names will always be known in the dark. We think that we are known for our spotlight moments, but if Jesus is the light, then no matter how dark the darkness is, our name can be known. The second thing was uh, from a writer I love named Annie Dillard, and she says, I cannot cause the light. The most I can do is put myself in the path of its beam. If Jesus is the light of the world, then when we find ourselves confused or in the dark, uh, where we're wandering around, unable to see what's next or what's clear, we don't have to create the light. We only have to find our way back to the path of its being. I am the light of the world. That doesn't mean that there will be no darkness in the world or in our lives. It just means there will always be light. Number three. Uh, number three comes from the verses just before the text that Chad read for us today in John chapter 10, or 10 uh, where Jesus says, depending on your translation, I am the door or I am the gate. Uh, this statement comes on the hills of Jesus. He's just healed the blind man, but it makes the religious leaders furious. And they say, you can't be from God because you were working on the Sabbath. And the scripture says that you can't work on the Sabbath and you're doing that. So you can't be from God. And so Jesus responds and he calls them, uh, tells them, you thought that man was blind? You're the blind person. Uh, we don't have time to tell the whole story, but it's great. Do not sleep on John chapter 9. It is hilarious. Um, and then he says, you are blind and I am the door. It's like, what? In one way, it's a response to the angry uh, religious leaders. He's saying to them, if you think that you can sneak into God's field without me, I'm the door, man. You can't get in without me. And at the same time, he's, it's not just a warning uh, for the people, the religious leaders who are against Jesus. It's also a promise about who he is. He says, I am the gate for all of the sheep. I'm the gate for the good pasture. Uh, my friend and Monday morning, Pastor Adam Russell says that this I am statement is a declaration against exclusion and abandonment. Jesus as the gate means the good pastures aren't just for the people with religious power or the insiders. If Jesus is the door, then it means we can always come home. Because as I read this week, Jesus has installed himself in every room on earth and in every corner of our lives. I want to say that again. Jesus is the door, which means he has installed himself in every room on earth and in every corner of our lives. Which leads to the fourth statement. It comes right after the third in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, uh, I am the good shepherd. I'm not just the gate to the good pastures. I'm the shepherd of them too. He says that bad shepherds, they, they run away when trouble comes because they're just in it for the money. But good shepherds, they know their sheep and they lay down their life for them. And then he says, I'm the good shepherd, not the bad one. Jesus is the good shepherd who is driven by his need to find his sheep whenever they are lost, who knows his sheep and who is known by them, who doesn't run when the first signs of trouble come, but, but who plants himself in firmness when it rises. Jesus as the good shepherd means that wherever there is chaos and trouble, he is. He won't leave us or abandon us. He gives his life to keep us safe. It means that where you are lost and anywhere that you want to be found, he is. 
And so with goodness and mercy, he goes after his sheep. Uh, We find the fifth I am statement of Jesus in John chapter 11. Uh, This happens right before Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, if you know the story. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, Before he says this, Lazarus has just died and Martha, his sister, hears that Jesus is coming and she's so angry and she's so frustrated. And so she walks to meet Jesus on the road before he even gets to the house. Uh, When you were a kid, did you ever come home uh, from somewhere and your mom meet you in the driveway? That was not a good sign, right? She didn't meet you in the driveway because she missed you, (laughs) right? I mean, mine did, but (laughs) she meets you in the driveway because you're in trouble right? Okay, that's what's happening. It's it's never a good sign. Martha meets Jesus in the driveway because he's in trouble. She meets him and she says, why weren't you here? You knew he was sick. We sent word. You knew he was sick and you didn't come. And if you'd come, he wouldn't have died. And this is his answer. I am the resurrection and the life. This is... uh, this I am, it, it isn't to a crowd that's, that, that's so ex- excited about him or praising him. It, it isn't to a crowd that's cursing him or questioning him. It is to his friend. To his friend, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, the question isn't where was I? The question is who am I? You're asking the wrong question. I am this. I hold resurrection and life in my hands. Wherever There is death in the world, or in you I am breath. And wherever there is breakdown or decay in the world, or in you, I am new life. Martha, she replies uh, about something in the future, and he's like, no, 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 no. Now. I'm these things now. And so he shows her by going to her brother's tomb and demanding that he come out, and then Lazarus walks out. I'm the resurrection and the life. Lazarus takes a miraculous breath here, but it's Martha who's the container for this promise, this promise that's hers and her brother's and ours for all of time. Jesus has promised that part of who he is uh, means that wherever there is death in the world or in us, he is fresh breath. And whenever there is breakdown or decay in the world or in us, he is new life, not just in the future, but now. Now. I'm the resurrection and the life now. Uh, Number six has similar wording. It's the second time Jesus calls himself life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, This one comes in John 14, so a little bit further down. And uh, it takes place during the Last Supper around his friends. Jesus uh, is, is meeting with his disciples, his closest friends, and he's telling them about his death. And they're incredibly confused by it. Uh, and at one point, like we read about the death of Jesus and it kind of makes sense to us. They've never heard anything like this. And so they're really confused. And at one point Jesus says, I'm going to die, but then I'm going to go somewhere. And where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you so you can go there too. And Thomas asks the question. He's like, but we don't understand where you're even going. How are we supposed to know the road to take to get to where you're going? And Jesus responds, I'm the road. I'm the way. I am the way, the truth. And the life, I am the road that you're looking for. And I'm what's true when you're confused. And I am where life is truly found. I'm the road. I'm I'm the way you get to the Father. 
And also, I'm true. What I've been living has been the truth. You've seen me feed the hungry and heal the sick and cast out devils. And, and you've seen me dismantle esoteric and insider religion. And you've seen me stand against power that comes at the cost of people. And you've seen me touch and speak and listen to the underserved and the unimpressive. And, and, and you've seen me expose the smallness of hedonism and dissipation with an abundance of hope. And you've heard me interpret the scriptures and the Father and what I say and what I've done. And in every moment moment I've declared the kingdom of God as living and active and here and coming. I have paved my road in truth. But I'm not just the way and I'm not just the truth. I'm also the life. Life full and free. The Bible uses the word abundant. Jesus says I'm that kind of life. Not life at the expense of truth, but life abundantly full of it. Side note, I probably could have done this with every single one, but uh, if you find yourself talking to someone about Jesus in the Bible, and uh, every time you talk to them about Jesus in the Bible, they are super angry about it, man, that doesn't sound like abundant life to me. And so one of the clues that maybe someone is uh, like railing at Jesus, maybe a good way to spot someone um, that is maybe not worth listening to you or to or basing your theology on is someone who, who's angry all the time because they're grabbing so hard at truth that they forgot about life. So Jesus, he, he claims to not just offer these things, but to be these things. I have and am the road. I have and am the truth, but also I have and am the life. Uh, Frederick Buechner, who uh, I don't know personally, but has been like this precious spiritual father to me, and he passed away this week, and it's rare that I go a week without quoting him, but you, I really have to quote him this week. He says this, he says, Jesus didn't say that any particular ethic or doctrine or religion was the way, the truth, and the life. He said he was. I love that. Jesus didn't say evangelicalism is the path or Calvinism is the truth or charismatic works are the life. He said, I am. That was convicting to me this week. I love my little boxes for Jesus, but my boxes aren't the path or the truth or the life. He is. Finally, number seven, you've hung in so well. Last one, I am the true vine. Uh, this one comes from John 15. Um, it's sort of like this final sermon that John puts in um, between when Jesus is uh, having the last supper with his disciples and then he goes away to his crucifixion. Right in the middle, John in 15 does this like final words of Jesus, this like final sermon of Jesus. And it's right before his death. And two times in this passage, he says, I am the true vine, the home base, the source of life and energy and fuel and connection. Make your home in me. Who is Jesus? He is the true vine. He is whatever the opposite of isolation and loneliness and disconnection is. In him, we find symbiosis and togetherness and family. Psalm 68, uh, the psalmist says, God puts the lonely into families. And Jesus says, I'm how he does it. I'm how he does it. I'm the vine. I'm the connection point between you and the Father and you and each other. Uh, you know the phrase, uh, how we invite Jesus into our hearts? It's a great phrase, and we should do that. But in this moment, uh, uh, I believe that we have Jesus inviting us into his heart. His heart, where he welcomes us in connection, and he sustains us, and he fills us, and he grows us, and then he bears us so that we can bear the kingdom of God all over the world. How does Jesus answer the question, who are you? 
He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, life twice. And I'm the true vine. So here's what I want to do. Uh, we're going to take a minute. We, we do this every week at the vineyard. We call it Selah. Um, and I want to sit in these things. I'm going to pray through them, and we're going to kind of sit, and then we'll sit silently. Um, but as I was writing, I, and maybe I'm way off base, but I just felt like uh, Jesus was saying, what, I'm these things. What do you need from me? I think sometimes we feel really guilty needing something from Jesus, uh, but that's baloney. Like, that's baloney. Uh, the, the whole I am statements disprove that. Like, he's saying, I am bread, I am light, I am life, I am resurrect. I'm these things because you need something, right? So it's okay for us to need something from Jesus. And so um, what I want to do is I just want to pray through these, and we'll sit together in prayer, and then we're just going to trust the Holy Spirit that he'll highlight something in you, that one of these is what you need, what, what you need to remember about uh, who Jesus is. Chad was praying this morning, I've already said it once, but, and he was thanking Jesus that his presence is his voice. And so some, you may hear like, I don't know, you may hear from the Spirit. Um, but if you feel the presence of Jesus heavy on one of these things, that's his voice. And so lean in there and pay attention.